0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org.
1: Our worship continues with the public reading and study of His Word. And before we hear God speak to us through His Word, there's a short prayer called the Collect. That's to focus our uh, hearts and our attention so that we can hear God speak. Everlasting God, You have ordained and constituted the ministries of angels and mortals in a wonderful order. Grant that as your holy angels always serve you in heaven, so at your command they may help and defend us on earth. Through Jesus, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen
0: first reading this this morning is from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18. Now it came the time that passed after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replied, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of the young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And then they came to a place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as the burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, "By myself I have sworn," says the Lord, "because you have done this thing and you shall and you have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate Of your enemies, and your seed of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
2: The second reading is from the book of Numbers, beginning to read at um, verse 29. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, it is a day of blowing the trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one kid of the goats as a sin offering, to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, and their drink offerings, according to their ordinance, as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: Our third portion is from the the Revelation, chapter twelve. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: So let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, approach the subject of, uh, of the evil one. Lord, we uh, come in confidence that uh, you are the victor. Your blood has won the war for us We pray that uh, we will not be afraid, and we will not shrink back. We ask that you'll uh, enable us to be firm and resolute, Lord, as our enemy goes about as a roaring lion. Give us confidence, Lord, and we pray that uh, you will uh, strengthen our faith, that indeed, at the end of days, Satan will not win and that he will lose. We pray that this will be reflected in our lives in a, in a concrete reality and will not be some idea stuck in our head. Help us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so today is a traditional Christian feast day. It is also the eve of the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the seventh month. Both of these holidays actually have a fair amount in common, and I'd like to just uh, dwell on that for uh, a second and um, maybe just preface my remarks by saying, surely I'm going to get some emails or some flack, uh, as I always do. By people saying, "Why uh, are you in some way demeaning, or or um, demeaning is the right word, minimizing uh, Rosh Hashanah? After all, Rosh Hashanah is biblical, and the feast of Saint Michael is not." Well, my dear friends, Rosh Hashanah is not biblical as the way it is constructed and celebrated today. Uh, it is a construct or uh, a development of uh, Jewish theology over the centuries. So, somewhere in the fourth, the fifth, the sixth centuries, we get um, uh, Rosh Hashanah as it uh, as it appears today, and so too is the feast of Saint Michael. Saint Michael um, begins to be honored uh, in uh, churches in the East and the late. Fourth century, and in the fifth century, uh, the idea then spreads to Western churches uh, as well. Both of these holidays, although they're not biblical, they do reflect a biblical truth and a biblical uh, reality. Uh, first of all, we all know that um, the first day of the seventh month is not uh, really uh, the new year. The new year is, of course, according to the Bible and the Hebrew calendar, falls on the first day of the month of Nisan. Nisan comes to us uh, almost always in the month of March. But uh, there are numerous new years. Uh, There's a new year of the trees. There's a new year of the cattle. There's a new year for royal decrees. And there's also a spiritual new year. And Rosh Hashanah, uh, what it represents is the beginning of the spiritual, or you might say, the religious New Year. It's an opportunity, really, to uh, get right, get right with God, and it's a preparation, for the most part, for uh, Yom Kippur. It's preparing people for this day of atonement, preparing us, in, also in a very practical way. The uh, holiday is famous. Uh, for a number of things. If you're, if you're not familiar with it, it's very famous uh, for its liturgy. It's a very beautiful liturgy. And in the liturgy, the Rosh Hashanah liturgy, there's this insistence that, or even a desperation on behalf of the people of Israel that God would come down and be their king. Um, so this concept of the kingship of God, uh, God ruling and reigning over His people is very important. Uh, certainly at this time of the year. Uh, it is also well known, well known uh, for the reading of the Akidah. The Akidah, the binding of Isaac, or as we as Christians would say, the sacrifice of Isaac. That's also an important part of the liturgy. Uh, maybe we are familiar with the emphasis put on repentance. Yes, repentance. This is the, the time, a season of repentance. And of course, we in a Christian world we have Lent, so this might be an, have a parallel with with, uh, with Lent. Um, so this is a preparation uh, for Yom Kippur, time to uh, look at one's sins, one's faults, one's weaknesses, and to ask forgiveness. Not only to ask God for forgiveness, but go to others who we may have offended or we may have hurt, and ask them to forgive us. As well, also maybe perhaps other than apples and honey, uh, what makes this holiday famous is the blowing of the shofar. Yes, and uh, during the two days, two days of services of uh, Rosh Hashanah, the shofar will be blown over a uh, hundred times. The feast of Saint Michael and uh, all angels also um, came at a time. Uh, it was the conclusion of, a, of one year, it was the beginning of another, it was uh, a holiday that uh, commemorated the end of the harvest season, it was the holiday in which commemorated the end of the financial um, financial year and the beginning of a new financial year. It was in, in Britain bound up with, with hiring servants or paying taxes. So you have this in both holidays, feasts, you have this idea of something coming to the end and there being being a new beginning. So this is a liturgical experiment. Let's see if we can uh, make the tie or the connection uh, between the two in a much more uh, significant spiritual way. So I'd like to begin by just looking at the passage that comes from... Revelation chapter 12. This is the traditional passage that is read uh, every year at this time. Um, just as the Akidah, uh, or the binding of Isaac, is read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. By the way, in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish understanding, uh, even before the time of Jesus, Satan attempts to stop Abraham from uh, obeying God. Uh, So there is uh, the introduction of the demonic or the satanic uh, in the story of the Akidah, just as uh, this will be a focus uh, or the the subject uh, of today's holiday as well. Um, And the verse goes like this, or we begin like this. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, we'll read in a second when does this war take place. And although it's controversial, there are are different opinions, I side with those who say that this war takes place after the coronation of the King, after after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. It's that when Jesus ascends to the Father, that that is the moment of his coronation. <clears throat> that is when he begins to rule in a way that he didn't do so. Uh, he didn't do so before. I think that's borne out by the verses that, or the hymn that comes uh, following. In a uh, in a few minutes, we'll read in and just see. So it's you know there can't be two powers in heaven. There can't be a king and a dragon that wants to dethrone the king. There can't be a king and a usurper. One of them has to go. There's not, really, there, <clears throat> there's not room, even in the large expanse of heaven, for a counterfeit Messiah, for a counterfeit Christ, and that's what <clears throat> the dragon is. And so upon his coronation— I know this sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings. How interesting, yes? Um, Upon his coronation, upon being enthroned, upon being installed, whatever you want to call it, Jesus commands Michael, yes, to throw out the impostors, throw out the deceiver, and war wages in heaven. And uh, as a result, the angels, the, the demons, uh, Satan and his angels are thrown to earth uh, at this point. So the, there's this mighty warfare in earth, on, sorry, on heaven, and the war will now continue on earth here. It says, But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So now we know who the dragon is. We know now we have a connection with the serpent in the Garden of Eden uh, and the the tools, or his main weapons. And his main weapons are two here, we see, do we not? One, he's called the devil in Greek. He's called Satan in Hebrew. And in both instances— the, those words are defined as accusers. So, his main uh, weapon, you might say, was that he accused. He was an accuser. Maybe you remember the story of Job, how he went, <clears throat> how he had access to heaven and went before God and said to God, You know, look at your servant Job. He's not a pious man. He's, et cetera, et cetera. Or you may remember how he accused Zechariah. Uh, the priest. So Satan had access to heaven, the devil, he's the accuser, and his main, you might say, function, uh, his way of disrupting, his way of causing mischief was to go before God Himself and accuse the righteous, to accuse the saints. Now, all of a sudden, Satan is thrown down And he doesn't have that power, or he doesn't have that uh, possibility uh, anymore. Secondly, his second, you might say, um, uh, tool in his toolbox—he doesn't have very many—is that he leads the world astray, that he's a liar, he's a deceiver. He accuses, he deceives. He accuses, he deceives. He's uh, a— like some propagandist we know. Uh, The generator of, a generator of fake news. (laughs) Yes. So, fake news may not be human. And in fact, you know, uh, we have fake, I think it was the Pope who said not long ago, fake news started in the Garden, the Garden of Eden. And uh, he was... certainly right about this this point, at least. So, well, I have to qualify that, you know, when speaking to Protestants, you know, they'll think I'm a crypto-papist, you know, or something. Um, so, if he leads the whole world astray, it means that he... Wasn't only in heaven; he's always been on earth. But now he's thrown out of heaven, and his activities are uh, narrowed, you might say. To, he's corralled; he's hemmed in; he's put in a very, uh, he's put in a very, very small, he's put in a very small space. But so the war in heaven is ended. At least the war in the highest heaven ends because it does say that there are war in the heavenlies. But it's certainly not on the same—I don't think it's the same intensity that that existed uh, uh, before the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Satan is now pushed back to earth, and of course he's furious, and he is in a rage, and he takes that rage out. He makes war constantly, frequently on the saints— so we are now uh, in the battle, in a battle with him. The battle hasn't uh, necessarily ceased, and I'd like to just continue. Um, it says, Then I, he was hurled to earth and the angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have, have, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And the authority of His Christ. Okay, Jesus is now beginning that time of reigning and ruling, as prophesied by Daniel, prophesied by Isaiah. There will be no end to His government. Or Daniel chapter seven, uh, we see a picture of Jesus uh, ruling and reigning, and all nations, uh, tribes, and tongues will come and and worship Him and submit to Him, and there will be no end to His to His dominion. Um, It says, for the accuser of our brother, uh, for our brothers, who accuses them before God, day and night, has been hurled down. And now we come, I think, to uh, the, the rub of all this. The rub of all this is that we are in a spiritual battle. And we need to take part. We need to take up arms and be involved in the fight. Now, one of the things that happens at Yom Kippur, not Yom Kippur, sorry, at Rosh Hashanah, is that the shofar is blown. Now, the reason the shofar is blown, there are many different reasons. Uh, Everybody has their favorite reason. One reason says the shofar is blown in order to confuse the devil. I kind of like that. Although, you know, and Scripture it says that we're not to confuse the devil; we're actually to resist the devil. Okay. Um, some people say the shofar is blown as a reminder of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Very nice. Uh, or it's blown to remind of the trumpet blast that occurred at Sinai. Also very nice. But the really the uh, maybe the most emotionally satisfying answer is that the shofar is blown okay, in order to wake us up, in order to tell us, you know, be on guard. You know, the, uh, yeah, there is an emergency. Something important is at stake here. You, you know, the shofar was blown in towns and villages, you know, when an enemy approached. And so we hear the shofar, it's maybe rude-sounding, odd-sounding, and hopefully it wakes us up. To a, a spiritual reality, and that spiritual reality is that there's a war going on. And is it not so easy for all of us to float down the river of life, to be involved in <clears throat> all the minutiae of uh, raising children and uh, you know, maintaining a family and keeping a job and advancing a career? Uh, is it not easy to become anesthetized by the media or the internet? Um, and we lose sometimes this focus. We, we, we sometimes focus uh, on what is in front of us and what we see with our eyes, and we forget that the most important things and the, the most important um, is, or the most urgent, the most essential is actually what we can't see. And Paul says it. He says the invisible is more important than the visible. Very Jewish uh, way of looking at the world. So there is the, indeed. There's a spiritual war going on, and this, Satan is on the rampage. He's attacking, and we we're, we're faced with a choice. The choice is like this. The choice is either we believe that he that there's so much evil. And there's so much dysfunction and there's so much brokenness in this world that he's invincible. And if we have come to that conclusion that there's nothing we can do, that we can't fight, then we can't resist. Then we give in, and that's when we we give up out of discouragement, and we're no longer faithful. But if we have a biblical view that his time is limited, that uh, soon he will be bound. Yes and uh, thrown into a place of punishment that He doesn't have full control in this world. If that's our perspective, then we can, re- we can indeed remain faithful. And My dear friends, the book of Revelation—what's the purpose of this book? It's not to tell us basically about what's going to happen tomorrow. The book of Revelation is to tell us, remain courageous, remain faithful, even in the face of opposition or persecution uh, or uh, having to give up your life for Jesus the Messiah. Don't give in. Don't say, like so many other people say in the world in which we live in and all through history, people look around and they think, look at evil. It's on, it, evil is winning. People who are sinful get away with it. The, the, the good are suffering and the, and the, yeah, the, uh, the sinners are flourishing. In, um, why should I play by the rules? Why should I be obedient? Why should I be faithful? I, I need to, I, I'm a fool, people will say to themselves. You know, as we said last week, I need to get a, my share of the pie. Yes? And the book of Revelation says, uh-uh, don't do that. Be faithful, because reality is, The reality is not what we see. The reality is is that Satan will lose, he will be judged, and all of us will be held to to give an account of what we have done in this life. Those who are righteous will be rewarded. Those who are unfaithful—well, okay—and who is led into the city? or who who you know there's a list of people who don't get into the new Jerusalem and may I remind you that on the list are all the typical sinners those who practice those who murder those who practice the occult those who commit sexual immorality but what is number 1 pardon yeah being being cowardly being cowardly. So we read these passages not to be scared of Satan, but really to reorientate, our, uh, to reorientate reality. That we must be courageous, Encouraged courage is a gift that comes to us from God. And we have weapons. Weapons number one is, is the blood of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus doesn't die only to free us from sin. That is very good evangelical teaching—orthodox teaching. Jesus is not only a sacrifice, he's not only that atonement, but, that it, uh, but His death on the cross extends much wider. And though so often we don't appropriate that death on the cross or fully understand that death on the cross, do we not? Because He dies also to free us from death and the fear of death. Yet we walk around very often, many of us. Afraid of death, afraid of dying. By the way, this is uh, we're being controlled, or being uh, we're under the hold of the devil. If we're afraid of death, and that's something. If uh, you know that if that's your fear, uh, or you lie awake at night, you know, anxious about these things, then you know, suggest that someone minister to you or pray, pray for you, because that's an enslavement. But also Jesus frees us from the power of Satan, and so it's by His blood. But it also says it's the word of, his, the word of our testimony. And here, let's just talk for a minute about spiritual warfare. Uh, many times in our understanding of spiritual warfare, it's about waving a flag. It's all about worship. It's about using the name of Jesus. I'm not against flags, you know, especially if they're the it's the Italian flag, you know, <sighs> or the flag of my favorite football club, Liverpool. Okay, I I'm i think worship is wonderful. Worship invites the presence of the Lord. Worship sanctifies a place; it makes it holy. It's wonderful, and and of course the name of Jesus. But none of these things are magic formulas. None of these things are magic formulas, as if using the name of Jesus is somehow going to keep us safe from the devil. It's by the word of our testimony. And what is, what is the word of our testimony in, in the book of Revelation? It's that we've over, we are overcomers. Yes, we are overcomers. Uh, we can't be chanting the name of Jesus and saying, get away from me, Satan, if we have an open door for the devil. Ephesians 4 says, give the, give the devil no place. Give the devil no place. Don't be angry. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. We can open the door, okay, and allow Satan to attack us. The same is true with any form of idolatry. Because while idolatry and the idols in our lives, whether we're worshiping something physical, physical, uh, object, or whether we're worshiping success or the nation state or uh, whatever we worship. And as we often say here in this congregation, that idolatry is any form of security and identity that we take up that does not come to us from God. Any form of security and identity. And behind idolatry, Paul says, is the demonic. Behind idolatry, is the demonic. So if we don't have a word of testimony, if we don't have a word of testimony, we're not going to have that victory over the devil. We're not going to have that victory over the devil. Um, Jesus, and in fact, many of us will accuse, well, I have a spirit of anger. I have a spirit of lust. You know? so, and many times we, we accuse the devil. Of of causing us to sin, or letting us sin, or or getting getting carried away with ourselves. But my dear friends, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says in Mark chapter seven, he gives us a something. He gives us some very instructive um, uh, uh, words. He says, "What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean from within." from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, immorality, okay, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slanger, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. So we can't walk around and say, the devil made me do it. The devil can deceive us. He might want to trick us, but at the end of the day, we are the, cl- the ones who are clicking on the website that we shouldn't click on. We are the ones who are carrying on a grudge. We are the ones who are losing our temper. Okay? We, on the end are, we at the end of the day, we ourselves are responsible. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare, we have to be very careful that we are not blaming things on the devil that actually are not the fault of the devil. We need to take personal responsibility. and I think we say this often enough, but it is also worth repeating, that spiritual warfare isn't about practicing the presence of the devil and practicing the presence of demons. It's about focusing on the victory, but many people are fascinated by evil. Okay. There's a there's a curiosity. I want to know the spirits that are ruling over my city. Yes. I want to confront the spirit of some false religion. Well, let me tell you. You start doing that, and it's really easy to make contact with uh, powers and principalities. And they, uh, especially if you're doing this on your own or your three people of your prayer group in uh, Guilford somewhere. You will be overwhelmed by Satan. May I remind you that even Michael the Archangel, who wrestles with Satan over the body of Moses, doesn't do so in his own authority. He says, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. <clears throat> so spiritual warfare is dangerous, but it must be done in a very careful and sober way. The Lord rebuke you. And the way that we, the, the way that we, Fight the devil is with the word of our testimony. Okay, it's by by dealing with our sin, and this of course is really the second message of uh, the second point that I want to bring out about uh, Rosh Hashanah: the power of repentance. But you can people will say, no, it's about the blood of Jesus. Yes, it's about the blood of Jesus. But Jesus Himself says to five of those seven churches in the Book of Revelation. He says "Is one big word for them—repent. And repentance, my dear friends, is not saying, God, I'm feeling guilty, and God, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry because especially I feel bad for what I've done. Repentance is radical change of our behavior. I mean, we constantly tell God, I mean, it's a good start. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But we have no intention of changing or no serious intention of changing, because that's painful, very painful, ooh, ah, ouch. And after all, so many of us like our sin, makes us feel good and comfortable, yes. That's not repentance. Scripture talks about having a gift of repentance. I think the first thing we do is first we have to have a desire. We have to have a desire for change, and I, I in, in my ministry, I've never ever met someone who has a hunger and a thirst to change and to be transformed into the image of Christ or the image of Jesus the Messiah. I've never met anyone with that desire who's ever ultimately been disappointed. Yes, we have to desire it, not half-heartedly but fully. The desire of repentance. We have the desire to please the Lord. We have the desire to to uh, live a life that will stop being broken, stop bringing damage to ourselves and damage to others. And when we have that desire, God meets the desires of our heart. God will give us a gift of repentance and that we can begin to, to turn away from these things. And it's then, when we don't give the devil a place, that we have that victory over him. We have that victory over him. Is this all about works? No, it's not about works. It's about God's grace. Then will the devil be able to accuse us? Surely the book, the book of Romans says no. Yes, can I remind you of the, of the passage that is um, that comes, uh, that is related to this, and it goes as follows. It says, um, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. All is... And, sorry, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or a sword? So if we're going to engage in this warfare, and all of us must, we must practice the presence of Jesus, not the presence of Satan, or not be in a dialogue with the demonic we need to be assured that we have victory, and that's what's important. Let's finish the, the, with a few more comments um, about, the, um, about our passage. And it goes on to say, um, For the accuser of our brethren has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So here, let's put it in another way. Talked about overcoming. Faithfulness. What, what is the weapon, the most, one of the most important weapons that we have is that despite our circumstances, we remain faithful. And of course, this is the message of the whole book. Despite what happens to us, you know, remain committed to Jesus and be obedient. Uh, be obedient to him. But w- therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who rejoice in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. At the end of the service we will hear the blowing of the shofar. And I am sure for some of us it will be a novelty. I will think, how cool! But the reason I want we ask the shofar player to come and to blow is, um, again, to remind us uh, of the seriousness, yes, of uh, the situation in which we find ourselves. It's not just a situation in 2020, it's uh, the spiritual reality of every age and every generation. It is just that the deception is slightly different in every age and ge- every generation. If we do not wake up, pay attention, rise from our slumber, we can very easily become a casualty. I'd like to remind you and end with the words of First Peter chapter 5. Peter says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on you, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How do we resist him? First of all, we tell the devil the blood, the blood, the blood, what Jesus did. Second, by the word of our testimony, by being victorious and overcoming which means that we need to live a life of repentance and to deal with those besetting sins that so easily overtake us, yes? So resist him, okay? Um, Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith—this is faithfulness— because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In Him be the power forever and ever. Amen.